If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. It's every nonprofit leader's dream to reach a point of financial stability. You know, when you no longer sweat as you think about payroll next week, or you think about the organization's rent payment being due next month, you're no longer juggling which vendor you're going to pay this week and which one you're going to pay next month or next quarter. And then, of course, it's also every nonprofit leader's nightmare to lose it. Financial stability is hard enough to accomplish in the best of times, but now we have the additional challenge of a global pandemic and a recession that is very rapidly setting in. At the top of the finance totem pole in your organization, so to speak, is your board treasurer. This person takes the lead in fulfilling the board's role of financial oversight and stewardship. In many small and medium-sized organizations, your board treasurer plays a significant role in shaping and directing the organization's financial policies, gaining or losing funders' trust, and yep, you guessed it, ultimately help a nonprofit achieve or lose financial stability. So what exactly does a treasurer do besides just showing up at meetings with boring reports? And what skills should your treasurer really possess to do that effectively? Here to discuss the ins and out of the board treasurer role is Chad Wolver. I had the pleasure of working with Chad when I was the interim executive director at the Southwest Center in Phoenix. Chad was the immediate past chair when I stepped in, and he later became the board treasurer. In this role, he expertly demonstrated what a great board treasurer does, and he did this diplomatically with a smile on his face and a very congenial personality. For his day job, Chad is a vice president at Bank of America's Global Commercial Banking. And as a banker, he is an expert in assessing organizations' financials and determining their long-term financial strength and challenges. But Chad also has a nonprofit background thanks to his previous work with international nonprofits and his experience in leadership positions on multiple boards and, of course, his work in the Peace Corps. 
Chad describes himself as taking a particular interest in helping organizations find financial stability and position themselves for growth. So on top of everything I've already shared with you about Chad, he recently founded a financial data visualization company geared toward nonprofits called Azul Analysis. And they help nonprofit organizations build financial sustainability by helping board members better visualize data, whether or not they have a financial background. So please join me in welcoming my friend and perhaps the world's greatest board treasurer, Chad Wolver, to the podcast. Hey, Chad, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So I genuinely mean this when I say, Chad, you perform the role of board treasurer with more grace, more diplomacy, and more effectiveness than I have seen almost anyone else do. So what's the secret? I think the the secret is really recognizing that everybody comes from a different place and a different skill set, and you just have to work with the cards that you're dealt. So as board treasurer, you really have to, you have to think about the mission and think about how you can deliver that mission in your capacity that you're serving in, and just always keep that a focus of your job. And so I've got to ask, because I, I know, you know, I have a little bit of an inside scoop because, you know, you and I work together a little bit. I, so I know you've also chaired nomination and governance committee. And so when you're looking for prospective treasurers to join your board, what are you looking for? Yeah, that's a interesting question because when organizations first start out saying, oh, we want somebody who is a finance person on the board, that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And I think at that point, if that's your first thought, you really need to, as an organization, understand where your gaps are and what you need to be filled in that moment in time. So if you're looking for somebody in your, your intro, you were saying that there's a lot of different roles that board treasurers play in an organization. So if you're a small organization and you're going to be responsible for potentially bookkeeping or maybe some more hands-on activities, you're going to need somebody who's really strong at accounting, who knows their policies, who knows how to set up internal controls. You're going to need to know all that stuff. But if you're a larger organization and that's not really, you have somebody who's actually responsible for that day-to-day in the organization, maybe you need somebody who is good at managing investments. So you're going to need somebody who is more of a wealth advisor or a financial planner. So really thinking about your organization in terms of what does my organization need and then positioning it to the external stakeholders of an organization saying, this is who we're looking for. That's really what you have to do. I will say, I feel like one of the traits that you've really brought to the treasurer role is you have this amazing ability to think about finance things strategically, whether that's long-term financial planning or short-term. And can you say a little bit about, about what you're looking for as you're thinking, okay, what does this organization need in a year or two years or three years? Again, I think it's that meeting the organization where it's at. And I think... As a, as a banker, that's my background, being banking, I'm constantly meeting organizations where, where they are at. So I'll go to one organization kind of blind and not realize, oh, wow, they really have a lack of internal controls. They just need a person to help them with their basic accounting and, and finance, you know. But I'll go to another organization and they have an entire built-out team. And they, that conversation is going to be very, very different 
than that other organization. So in terms of like meeting people where they're at, I think you just you just have to kind of realize not every organization is in the same place. So let's pivot. So keeping in mind that not all, all organizations are in the same place, I imagine there's probably a baseline. So as the treasurer, you want to make sure the board is getting some specific information at each of its meetings. Yeah. I mean, there's three basic things, three statements that every organization should have. There's the statement of financial position, statement of activities, and then your statement of cash flows. Sometimes you'll hear balance sheet, income statement, and then cash flow statement, just nonprofit lingo for those things. (laughs) And those are really the things that you should be looking at as an organization. A lot of organizations only look at the income statement a lot of times because they think that's what's most important. But in reality, you should be looking at the balance sheet first because that's how you're going to achieve your goals, looking at your income statement second because that's what you have now to create that path forward. And then your statement of cash flows because that's what you're dealing with every day, week in, week out, is your your cash. And one of the things that I love is that when you look at these statements, so for example, when you look at the balance sheet, there's a quick equation that you do, which is kind of days of cash on hand. Can can you say a little bit about that? Because I think a lot of nonprofits are not, not, and it's easy to produce, are not producing that information for their board or even their management. Yeah. There was a 2019 study by GuideStar that showed that more than 50% of nonprofit organizations have less than 30 days operating cash on hand. And that is terrifying. And I think a, a lot of organizations are in that situation. But the reason it's most that's really important is because, as we both know, revenue isn't always certain in this industry. And I also think that things like the global pandemic have a huge adverse effect on organizations. So organizations that don't have that cash on hand don't have the ability to adjust as quickly as organizations that do have cash on hand. So just for everybody's kind of level setting here, the way I look at days cash on hand, I take the total cash on hand and I divide it by a average of operating expenses over a certain period of time. So for Southwest Center for HIV AIDS, we typically do 12 months, I believe, maybe six months to find out what's that daily operating expense. And then we put that into the amount of total cash we have. We can see how many days we could operate if no more additional cash came into the organization. And I'll share with you right now for a lot of organizations, since most nonprofits have a fiscal year that mirrors the calendar year, it's really super easy to figure out what your average daily burn rate or how much you spend every day is. Because if you're six months into the year, you just look at your total expenses and you divide that by 182 days and boom, you're there. Exactly, exactly. Now, I know there's some other equations that you like to kind of quickly create when you're looking at the financial statements. Can can you say a few words about those? Yeah. I look at them in three different segments. I look at what is most important on the income statement or the statement of activities, what's most important on the balance sheet or the statement of financial position. Um, and then I look at the a few that are interrelated between the two because they're they work together, statements work together. So on the income statement or the statement of activities, I like to look at what is the revenue trend over time. I like to look at what is the net income trend over time. And then I also like to look at the 
operating expense ratio. So I know that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people, but basically what percentage of revenue to income are you bringing in? So a lot of nonprofit organizations, because that word non nonprofit, think that they have to operate at a, a zero net margin, when in reality you should be operating in a positive net margin because you want to you you want to set some aside for potential debt or rainy days, and you want to set your organization up for long-term sustainability. So you really have to look at your net income and understand how is that trending over time. One of the things that I also love, Chad, is you're kind of insistent that organizations not just present those as numbers to their boards, but also present them as charts and graphs. Because so many people who join boards are just not numbers people. If they look at an income expense or profit and loss statement, or if they look at a balance sheet, you know, their eyes kind of glaze over. But when they look at a chart, they can tell, is it going up? Is it going down? Let me tell you, no one likes financials. No one likes financials. You can just see it. And I've been in a lot of boardrooms, met with a lot of finance committees, met with a lot of boards in my time. And every time we bring up financials, just the eyes just glaze over. So it's not a invigorating topic. It's not why people go into nonprofit work. It's not why people join a board. But the reality is, unless you're upholding your fiscal responsibility to the organization and talking about the finances of an organization and how you build a sustainable organization to continually deliver mission, you're not fulfilling your role as a board member. Right. You know, and it's interesting, like I always say that it never seems that important until the organization can't meet its payroll taxes and the IRS comes knocking or the State Department of Labor comes knocking. It never seems that important. And suddenly it's really important. Yeah. And the reality is distressed nonprofits have very limited ways to recover. And if you're already distressed and you have no day's cash on hand, you can't make any pivots. You can't make any strategic decisions. The whole idea of strategy is you plan very far in advance for multiple outcomes. And that's really what a, a nonprofit treasurer has to do. They have to push the organization in a kind, gentle way to realize that not everything is going to possibly end up as they think it will. Absolutely. And you know, because I, I think you've probably heard me use this phrase, I often think of days of cash on hand as a runway. So like if your plane needs to take off, you have you need to have a long enough runway that your plane is going to take off. And the bigger your plane is, the longer that runway needs to be, or you're going to crash at the end of the runway. And that's why I think that all boards really need to take a look at the balance sheets of organizations too, because that's really what determines whether or not an organization is going to succeed or fail in times of adversity. So you really have to think about, okay, what are my assets? What are my liabilities? If something were to happen, do we have enough assets to cover our obligations in the short term and in the long term? And you have to have those conversations because that strategic mind frame comes from the balance sheet. That's a balance sheet discussion. That's not an income statement discussion. Income statement is now what's happening between today and the end of the year, whereas a balance sheet is what potentially could happen from now till the end of time relative to our balance sheet. 
Right. And, and there's so much more valuable information on the balance sheet. I know you totally get this, Chad, but just so listeners kind of understand. So, for example, when you as management or you as the board are looking at the accounts receivable line or lines on the balance sheet, and you know, just to kind of baseline it, accounts receivable is people that or organizations that owe you money. Funders are people that owe you money as an organization. And so, you know, as an example, if you've only got a week of cash in the bank, but your accounts receivable is equal to three months of operating, gee, you need to figure out why you aren't getting paid. And I think that's something that every organization needs to realize on their own is not every thing that my organization reviews is going to be what another organization should be reviewing. So let's take the Southwest Center for HIV AIDS as an example. Every month at the finance committee meeting, we review the balance sheet, income statement, the cash flow document, but we also review the accounts payable, receivables, and we review the accounts receivable uh, aging schedule as well. But if you don't have significant receivables or if you don't have significant payables, it might not make sense to actually to look at those. Maybe it would be better to review what does the grant pipeline look like, you know? So it just depends on which organization, what your organization needs will determine what you should be looking at. I love that because it's not a one size fits all approach. And I kind of feel like this is part of why you realized there was a need for Azul Analysis, which is this tech platform that you've created. Yeah. In that same study I mentioned earlier, about 50, more than 50% of nonprofits having less than 30 days operating cash on hand. It also says that 30% of organizations have consistently reported deficits over the past three years, 30% are technically illiquid, and 7 to 8% are technically insolvent. And I've just got to jump in. And until very recently, so in other words, the last three years, the economy has been booming. So if that's what it's like when times are good, what's it going to be like when times are bad? I think we're going to see a lot more consolidation in the nonprofit space or just organization failure, depending on what organizations decide to do. But I think it's going to hit hard. We've already seen the numbers in Arizona, and there's been close to a 50% swing in terms of revenue impact and operating impact. So something like this is is going to be a huge challenge for organizations. Absolutely. And for every organization, it's going to vary. Depends what your funding mix is. But if you're an organization that relies heavily on individual donations, you're probably going to see a dramatic decrease as we move into the huge giving season of the fall. But one of the things that I've loved, because I've seen some screenshots of what Azul Analysis is doing, is, you know, it, it, Azul Analysis really helps those non-finance board members visualize financial data in a way that it's easy to digest and understand. Yeah. So Azul Analysis really is as much about education as it is about data visualization. So what it does is it, it plugs in directly to QuickBooks and it pulls in the financial data and displays it on seven distinct graphs that are in those categories, the income statement, balance sheet, and then the interrelated metrics. And the idea is if you can manage to those metrics, experts have shown that that's really what's built financial sustainability in organizations. So this is really a good way to engage your board members in the process of building sustainability, even those members who don't necessarily understand financial management in a fun, exciting way, or as exciting as it can be for financials. 
I, I love that. And as I said, like part of what I love about data visualization for financials for board members is everyone can kind of look at a graph and get a sense, okay, things are going in the right direction, things are just stable, or things are going in the wrong direction. Like it's really easy to see a graph and understand that. And the software actually allows you to overlay benchmark data in there as well. So you can see, okay, is our operating profit margin, is this in line with our industry? Is our leverage in line with industry leverage? So you can see, okay, well, we think we're doing good, but when we lay in industry data, are we really doing good? So you can see that in real time every single month. I also want us to pivot because this is a little bit of a twofer episode. You are an amazing banker. And I know you have heard me say this before, but for listeners, I have seen Chad as a banker and I've seen the type of work that he does as a banker. And for years, I've said to nonprofits that one of the most important relationships you have is that with your banker. And I also feel, though, like most nonprofits don't treat it that way. Most nonprofits kind of treat it the way they do their personal checking accounts. So, well, we make deposits and we get statements and that's it. But a good banker can do so much more for you, even if you're a quarter million dollar organization. They can do so much more for you. So, Chad, please, please, what should our listeners be expecting from their banker? I thought a lot about this because... I know a lot of bankers, I know a, a handful of nonprofit bankers. People have to realize that every bank is different. And I want to talk about a bank first as an organization. Every bank has a credit policy that drives credit decisions uh, and acquisition decisions for new clients. When you're talking to a banker, you have to understand what the credit appetite of a bank is. And the easiest way to, to understand that is asking them some of their other clients that are in your industry or asking them their familiarity with nonprofit organizations. Typically, small banks will have a deeper understanding because they don't have as many regulatory hurdles that they have to go around. But there are large banks out there that are familiar with nonprofit organizations. So you really have to understand what is the bank's appetite for nonprofit organizations and how does that fit in with your organization? And once you understand the, the credit policy and the, the appetite, then you can really figure out, does that person I'm working with, have they ever been in a nonprofit? Do they work with other nonprofit organizations? Do they know that the statement of financial position is really a balance sheet? Do they know what the net assets, what how that flows with and without donor restrictions? They have to do they have this basic comprehension of nonprofit accounting versus for-profit accounting? And those are some of the qualifying questions I think you can ask to get a pretty good idea if they know what they're talking about or, or don't know what they're talking about. And I'll say, I mean, my expectation when I've been an executive director has been pretty high for bankers. And so one of the things, frankly, that I'm kind of looking for from bankers is a little bit of free consulting. So, you know, they, they see lots of financials all the time. And so even if it's just through an, a, a line of credit underwriting process, I'm looking for that free consulting of, you know, gee, we feel a lot better about this if you had more days of cash on hand, or if your accounts payable wasn't so high. It appears that you seem to be juggling so you have days of cash, but you're not paying your vendors. Absolutely. I think that one of the biggest, I don't want to say fault of organizations, but that's kind of the only word I can think of right now, is that they don't listen to their banker and their banker can be their biggest ally. 
let me give you an example of that. I was working with a nonprofit organization. They were a a international nonprofit organization, worked in 40 different countries, and they wanted a line of credit. And the issue with that was all of their receivables were from like DFID, just foreign organizations. And it's really hard for a bank to collateralize foreign receivables or foreign grant receivables. So I told them that they should look at moving their relationship to an offline, an offshore bank based because I think they were actually, even though they were based in the U.S., they had operations in the U.K. I told them that they should look at moving their headquarters on paper to the U.K. so they could get financing through a U.K. bank. And I don't think they ever took my advice. I actually think I saw something recently where they're still trying to find a line of credit from somebody. But the reality is they're not going to be able to find it because it's as a banker, I know that that's something that no bank is going to touch, even a, a small bank that has a really heavy, a very aggressive credit appetite. So just something to think about. Really listen to your banker. They're going to give you good advice most of the time. And they might even serve on your board one day. Exactly. And it's funny because that's the other thing I wanted us to talk about is like, you know, your banker also is probably a well-networked person because to succeed in banking, you have to have a strong, vast network that's a mutual network. So it's not just the bankers always asking for things. It's a genuinely mutual network. And so I also feel like nonprofits should be expecting that their banker is going to open up their network for them in some strategic ways. So, you know, and so it's it does not mean that as an example, your banker asks all of their clients to contribute to your organization. But if they happen to know that, you know, that they're doing some private banking with a wealthy individual who cares deeply about your mission to quietly approach that person and say, hey, would you have an interest in meeting the executive director of this organization whose mission you care deeply about? So I, I also feel like there are these deep networks that organizations don't ask their banker to open up. Absolutely. I think that bankers are some of the most connected people in the finance area and organizations should be finding creative ways to work with them. But a banker isn't really going to know what's going on in the day-to-day life of your organization unless you keep them informed. And you're going to have to be the one to make the ask more than more often than not. But bankers, will they want to keep you happy. So they're going to give you connections in the community. They're going to connect you to people they know because that's how they build relationships. Some other things that your banker can do for you Folks may not know this, you know, or they might. As an example, you know, your bank may sponsor your gala, you know, and so gets a table at your gala. Well, your bank is probably, you know, your bank is probably doing that with hundreds of organizations every year. So, you know, your banker may invite you to a few galas a year so that you can get out there and network and maybe meet prospective board members and prospective donors, et cetera. It's just another expectation that you can sort of have of your banker that that they're going to be helping to promote you um, through that relationship that's your banking relationship. I think that's something you should also ask your banker before you move banks or before you establish a relationship is what is their giving strategy as an organization? So the bank I work at, we focus on hunger, housing, and employment. And anything that falls outside of that, it's really hard to divert funds to organizations, even if you're on the board for them. 
Whereas the organization I was at previously, they didn't really care. They had an open checkbook and they would just give out $5,000 checks like it was nothing, you know? You really have to think about what is your organization's attitude towards giving and how does your organization potentially align with that bank? So something you should think about too. Absolutely. Chad, I know we're quickly running out of time and you are an incredible person with a rich personal history. So I have, and I know you pretty well, so I have lots of things to choose from for the off the map question. So our listeners will get to know you a little bit better as well. You are an incredibly well-traveled person. I think you've been to more than like three dozen countries. What I did not know about you though, is you've been to 48 of the 50 states. So my off the map question for you is, what states have you not been to And what's your plan for getting there? So the two states I haven't been to is Tennessee. I know. Wait a minute. That means you've never been to Dollywood. I've never been. The crazy thing about that is I have a lot of friends who live in Nashville, and I just haven't had the opportunity to get out there yet. So, you know, it has to happen sooner than later. So, And then the second one is Vermont. And I'm just hoping there's going to be a Bernie rally up there, and I can go and see that in person. But... Maybe next presidential run. Oh my gosh. I would never have guessed that. I was expecting you were going to say Alaska or Wyoming. I would never have guessed those two states. I know. it's They're kind of, they're not connected. And I feel like I've been all around them and I should have gone to them, but I haven't. You know, I'm in Georgia, which is, you know, just one state away from Tennessee. So when you make it to Tennessee, let me know, because I've also never been to Dollywood. And I recently watched a podcast or listened to a podcast series about Dolly Parton. So now it's on my bucket list to go to Dollywood. By the way, it was never on my bucket list to go to Dollywood before I heard this podcast series. Um, so I will meet you in Dollywood. <laughs> Chad, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Listeners, if you would like to learn more about nonprofit finance, then check out the Azul Analysis website at azulanalysis.com. Azul Analysis is currently in a beta testing and looking for organizations that want to participate in this very initial beta test. The website is up and running, so you should go there and check it out, see how you might be able to participate in beta testing and build your own organization and your own board's financial acumen. Of particular note that I just want to point out is you've also got to check out Chad's vlog series, and that's a video blog. It focuses on all things finance for nonprofits, from recruiting finance professionals for your board to board relations during COVID-19. Chad also puts these on LinkedIn. I've actually shared a few of them. It is so worth checking out the vlog series and also connecting with Chad on LinkedIn so that you can get this video series. If you take a look at Azul Analysis website and are just too excited and cannot wait for beta testing to be over, then reach out to Chad and see how you can participate. And just so you know, they are giving away the software for free to a limited number of organizations in exchange for candid feedback about the product. So this is not only an opportunity to get in on the ground floor, it's getting in on the ground floor when it may not cost you anything. So if you're interested, check out the website Azul Analysis and email Chad at chad at Azul Analysis. Hey Chad, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's been great. 
If you got excited about testing Azul Analysis software and promptly forgot all those links and URLs, head over to the website, SuccessfulNonprofits.com. I say it every week so you can remember that URL. In addition to a transcript and time-stamped highlights, you will also find Azul Analysis' website and Chad's email address. While you're on our website, please take a few minutes to do two things. The first is to sign up for our weekly email newsletter. The second is to take three minutes and tell us how we're doing via the listener survey. Answering those questions will help make sure our content and our guests are relevant and useful to you as someone who is in the trenches in the nonprofit sector. So please share your feedback with us. And if your board needs help recruiting a great treasurer, reach out to me. I do a lot of board development work and would love to start a conversation with you about how we can help your organization identify and recruit the right talent for your board. That, listeners, is our show for the week. I hope you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. I am not an accountant or attorney, and neither I nor the Goldberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This material has been provided for informational purposes only, is not intended to provide, and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Always consult a qualified, licensed professional about such matters.